Morning, Overlake. My name is Jessica. I'm the worship pastor here. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship Jesus this morning. We're so glad you're here. Oh, 
and we get to sing about how worthy he is this morning. Let's all lift our voices together and sing this out, okay? Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you. 
Spirit 
what an amazing prayer to pray this morning, right? That we would invite the light of Jesus to come into our lives and to flood every single corner, right? To flood all of our lives and fill us with his light. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful prayer to pray? Overlake, it is wonderful to be with you. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And I just want to say that I am thankful for you. I spent some time this morning just praising Jesus for you, being thankful for you. And so, uh, because it's the week, right? And let me, let me just be the first one to say, happy Thanksgiving to you. Can I do that? Are you with me? Anybody? No? Okay. All right. Amen. Yeah, we're thankful. All right, well, go ahead, say hello to somebody, and then grab a seat. I want to get started today. Give a high five or a quick handshake, and then uh, grab a seat. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, all right. Well, go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see we are continuing in a series that started last week. Uh, the series is called In Our House, and the idea is Pastor Pat did a great job last week. He started by talking about one of the essential values that we have as we pursue Jesus in our house here, uh, this family called Overlake Christian Church, and you might remember that he, he kicked off the series talking about this essential value called Freedom. And it's freedom that Jesus has invited us into. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It says in Galatians chapter 5, uh, it talks about, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Can you just say the word indeed with me? Indeed, right? Like, we are free indeed in Jesus. And, and the kind of freedom that Pat was talking about last week, let me just, you know, just a quick recap is this kind of freedom. It's the freedom of shalom, or peace, or flourishing. It's a thriving of life, a depth of vitality from the inside out. It's expansive. It's for each person and each creature, the whole of creation. And then he quotes one of his favorite theologians as saying, it's the uncramped space for life to flourish. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. I want that uncramped space for life to flourish. And that is what Jesus invites each one of us into. And that's the journey that we're on in our house. And so that's the first value, the value of freedom. Today, what we're going to talk about is the next value that makes sort of life in this house just a little bit unique. And by the way, that's the premise of the whole series is that in every single household, there are certain values that are, that are held that just make it a little bit unique. Your household that you grew up in, a little bit different than someone else's household they grew up in. At my household, different than yours. Everything's just a little bit unique. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. When I grew up, I had two best buddies in the whole wide world. They're Doug O'Brien and John Green. And we spent, I don't know, over a five-year period, we spent so many nights in, in one another's home. Like we would just kind of migrate from home to home and, and just had all of these experiences where we'd do sleepovers. And, and the thing is, each person's home was slightly different. So, for example, in Doug's home... His mom was from Sweden. And so every time we would wake up in Doug's home, she would make us breakfast. And the breakfast that she made were these delicious Swedish pancakes. They were kind of crepe-like, thin, just buttery, delicious. Raise your hand if you know the kind of pancakes I'm talking about, right? Yeah, oh, so many blessed people in this room. And so 
because of the breakfast that would be served at Doug's house, I campaigned for us to spend the night at Doug's house far more often than I campaigned to spend the night at John's house or my house. And it was, I'm sure it was because of that breakfast, and it might have also been because he had a cute older sister, but that's a different message that we'll talk about. But I just I want you to understand that every household has things about it that are unique, that make it special. And these values that we're unpacking are the values that make this household, called Overlake Christian Church, and this family, this spiritual family uh, that, that God has built here, it make us just a little unique. So the first value we talked about last week, the value of freedom. Today, I am thrilled to unpack the value of family. And the value of family to me is such a beautiful gift that I get to be the one that talks about family with you today. Because for me in my life, family is chief priority. Family is at the very top of the list. It's my chief joy. And, and not only that, but my spiritual family, this beloved family, is absolutely beautiful to me. And so talking about relationships and talking about connecting to this truth that we are family together, this is a, a challenge that I'm excited to tackle with you. So we'll be talking about some values that God wants us to build in our physical families. So think about that for you. That's, that's for the people that are in your home right now or the people that, you know, grew up in your home or the people that just moved out of your home or statistically speaking, the people that are going to move back into your home after college. But those are the, those are the family, right? That's, the, that's the, the physical family that God wants us to build these values into. And then also we want to build them into our spiritual family here called Overlake Christian Church. And so if you're filling in the blanks, the first one is simply this. That in our house, we know one another. Amen. We know one another in our house. And of course this is true in your physical family, right? You know the members of your family. You know who lives in your own home. We know one another. And the idea is not just know them, not just know their name. It's not just the acquaintance, although that, it starts there. But the idea is you would know them, know what, what brings their heart alive, know what they're passionate about, know what they daydream about, know what it is that they enjoy doing. That's a big value. I got three teenagers in my home right now, and so knowing what they enjoy is a big thing. So we have a little mantra that we've been using in our household lately over the last few years, and it's the family that skates together stays together. Because we all like skating. We all like skateboarding together. And, and so we all go out. We try to find places to go. I, I, I say everyone, mom doesn't love it so much. She likes watching. She doesn't love it. But the rest of us, we love it. And so we keep skateboards in the trunk all the time. If we're ever traveling, on, you know, doing a road trip or something, and we stop somewhere where there's open parking lot, we'll just go. Um, around here, it's, it's tough because you need dry pavement in order to skateboard, right? Like that's just, that's just an, an essential and you know, we live where we live, and so dry pavement is, you know, it's, a, it's, it's prime real estate, right? Like, that's hard. So it creates all kinds of memories. Right? A, a while ago, I was taking my son Doozy. He's 15 years old, and I was taking him uh, to the Seattle Children's down in Bellevue. And if you've ever been down there, they have a three-story parking structure underground, which, you know, for you, that means nothing. But for me, that translates into dry pavement. 
And so after our, after our visit, which everything was great, you know, we go back to the car and I go, hey, Deuce, what do you think? Let's, let's get the boards out. And he's like, all right. And so we grab the boards and we start ripping around the lower level of this parking lot. There are no cars around and we're using the ramp and we're just having a blast down there for about 15, 20 minutes until the security guard showed up. And then, of course, we apologized and gave him a high five and then drove out of there as quickly as possible. But I want you to understand that, that it's, it's an important thing to value knowing one another. And that's one of the reasons why we do this thing called a connection card each and every week. It's one of the reasons why we really try to make a big church small. It's because we value knowing one another. I'll tell you a story about a, a young friend of ours named Trey. Trey, by the way, uh, we found out after we met him that Trey is a member of the championship-winning Seattle Sounders. Can we give it up for our championship team, the Seattle Sounders, locally? Yeah, so great. So Trey is on the Sounders, and, and he came to Overlay. God brought him here. And, and so he was just kind of hanging out as a single young guy. He was just kind of by himself. And a friend of mine named Karen met him. And she introduced herself to him and got to know him just a little bit. And right away, she started introducing him to other people. And so she was introducing him to, the, to a few others, and, and they were inviting him into places and spaces. And so that same night, he uh, was invited to and came back for our young adult service on Sunday evening. And then he ended up jumping into a group that somebody had invited him into. And then he showed up at our Wednesday night men's group because somebody had invited him there. And, and even on the day that Karen met him after Sunday service, she said, hey, you know, if you're not doing anything for breakfast, why don't you come out with my family and we'll do breakfast together. And this is a young man. Food is a very high value. And so he said, sure. And so there was that instant connection. And I want you to understand that, 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 that in that scenario, the connection card wasn't needed because there was human connection that was an incredible value. And, and that's what we want. That's what we aspire to. And I know we're not there yet, but please understand that we value knowing one another. And not just knowing at that acquaintance level, but really inviting into a connection where we really do know one another. You know, one of the reasons why I think it's hard for that to happen on a Sunday morning and you have to track with me for just a minute, but I think it's hard for it to happen here in, in a church-like setting where we get gathered together corporately. And the reason why it's hard is because we tend to put on our best faces when we come here, don't we? We, we tend to come here a little bit more chipper, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more kind than we maybe live the rest of the week. Does that, does that resonate with anyone here? And maybe that's not true for you. Certainly if you know me, I try to go through all my life chipper and optimistic and kind. Like that's not a, a, a thing. But we tend to especially show up in this place. And, and I want you to understand that's good. I, I actually like it. It's fun seeing all your smiling faces. But we just know that in a family, like in your family, you, you, there's a, a level of authenticity and safety in your family, Right? And so in your family, you tend to know when a member of your family has gotten up on the wrong side of the bed, right? You, you tend to understand this because you know them, so you, you know when they're being bothered by someone or, 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 or something or when they're worrying about something or when stress is weighing down on them, right? Because in our family, it's impossible to put your best face on all the time. 
And I'm not, and, and I recognize that that's, uh, sometimes that's uncomfortable, sometimes that's, that's not, you know, that, that's not great, and we wish it would be more, you know, kind and more upbeat in our family. But here's what I want you to see, that there's a value in actually knowing one another. There's a value in actually being able to do life together at this deeper level of authenticity and vulnerability. You know, in my life, over the course of my time in ministry and certainly here at Overlake, uh, the Howerton family was a part of a small group that actually developed into family. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and it, was, it was wonderful because just like we talk about for all our groups, we, we gather together weekly and it was for food and it was for prayer and it was for study and it was for laughter. And, and we did this with our whole family. So we would, we would do a babysitter upstairs and, and bring all of it. It was time when we had young kids, so all the kids needed care. And, and so we were going through this life and it, and it spilled over into more than just the group. So we would end up doing holidays together. We would end up going sledding together and activities together, family stuff. We would do vacations together. Like it was this really beautiful life on life kind of a season to the point where my young kids thought that these guys were family. They thought they were aunts and uncles and cousins and all that. And, and the reason why I talk about that is because that is the biblical picture of what this family can be like as we know one another and grow in our knowledge of one another. See, the book of Acts paints the picture like this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 44, it's a picture of the very first church. And it says, all the believers, you might want to circle the word all because this is for everyone. There were, there were no anonymous believers. They were all in on this. So all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Friends, I want you to understand that this is a beautiful picture of what our groups and what our family can grow toward and build toward. When we are committed to following Jesus like this, and, and you might want to just look at your verse on your outline, and we'll just unpack it. They were devoted to biblical teaching, right? They were devoted to the truth of Jesus Christ. They were devoted to fellowship with one another. So, so there really was this, this recognition that we are in this together. They were sharing in their meals. They were sharing the prayer. There was a sense of awe that they all lived together. And of course they saw miraculous signs and wonders. They saw life transformation. They saw healing. By the way, all that is happening at Overlake Christian Church, which is so beautiful. And it says they, they met together in one place. So there was a value of corporate worship together. And they shared. There was this generosity that they were committed to. So in order for this to happen as we pursue it as a family, is there are two values that we have to embrace. And you might want to write these in your margins somewhere. But this is what known and be, or being known and knowing others requires. And it is vulnerability and authenticity. You can write those down. It's vulnerability and authenticity. And it's what the first church had and it's what we can have with one another. And what Pastor Pat did so excellently last week, you might remember this, is he talked a little bit about what life was like in the Garden of Eden. 
Do you remember this? And he talked about these two values, vulnerability and authenticity. He said in the garden there was this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve together. And they were intimate with God and he was with them and walked in the garden with them. And do you remember this? There was no hiddenness in the garden and there was no shame in the garden. And even if you remember, Pastor Pat had you circle a word because in the Bible it says this, they were naked and unashamed. And, and so he had you circle the word naked. Do you remember that? And the reason why he had you circle the word naked is because he's still in junior high. So that's, that's why he wanted you to go there. But I, I want you to understand that picture of being vulnerable and authentic, of nothing hidden. And nothing shamed. Like, like that's the picture that God wants for us and our families. We know one another and are known by one another. And we're not there yet and, and we won't be there because honestly I want you to continue wearing clothes. But other than that, we want those values of vulnerability and authenticity. That's the goal that we go after as we seek to know and be known by one another. So that's a value. In our house, we know one another. The second value, if you're filling in the blanks, is in our house, we commit to one another. We make a commitment to one another in our house. I want you to think about, over the course of human history, families have lived together their entire lives for most of human history. That multiple generations would dwell together under one roof or at least living adjacent in the same neighborhood or community. And understand that in Jesus' time, when Jesus was living and, and doing his ministry here on earth, that in that time, multiple generations lived together as well. And I want you to think for a moment about how that might change your experience of life. How, how that might change the way that you look at your role in life and your identity within the context of your family. Because there would be a level of rootedness that you would have. There would be a degree of stability that you would enjoy. You would have friends and family that you could count and depend upon your entire life because of how close-knit a multiple-generation family structure was providing you. Now, when I was in Israel, I was able to walk through the town of Capernaum. And in, in Capernaum, they have a, the area they have identified where Peter dwelled with his mother-in-law. His in-laws lived there. Multiple generations lived there. And not only that, but as you walk through the main town of Capernaum, what you see are like the actual community, the main street... All of the buildings, all of the dwellings shared walls. And so the, the structure of the community was very tight-knit. It was life together. You were growing up around your neighbors as, as extended family members and brothers and sisters and cousins. And, and I just want you to see that that would have created this beautiful sense of family within a larger community. I've got a couple of pictures of what this might look like in, in my own mind. Uh, for example, my friend... Jeff Phillips, he's one of Overlake's partner missionaries overseas. He's actually down in Chile, based out of Santiago. And I've had a, the privilege of visiting Jeff Phillips down there and staying some time in his home. And what Jeff has been able to accomplish is he actually inherited one acre of land. And so on this acre of land, he built a condo kind of a structure for he and his wife... And then they built three adjoining condo structures, and he gave each of those to his adult children who have wives or husbands and children. And so his three grown children with their families live in these adjacent condos, and underneath the whole thing is a common room. 
and it, it stretches the, the entire length of the structure, and there's a, a one big table right in the middle of that room. It seats about 35 people. And so here's what they do. About once, twice a week, they have this family barbecue. Well, they'll go out. They have this beautiful outdoor barbecue set up, and they'll just barbecue all kinds of delicious meat. And then they'll gather together in this kind of long, great room, and they will sit together, multi-generational, kind of helmed by grandma and grandpa, and they will just have this, these meals together. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. Even locally, my friends, the Sartis, they have kind of this, kind of a similar picture where they live, you know, grandma and grandpa live in an adjoining apartment, aunt lives there, dog lives there, their family of six lives there at any given time, 20, 30 neighborhood kids live there, like, it's just this incredible picture of what that can look like, and, and I just want you to see that this is very, very common, especially common around the world. You know, I, I, in my visits to India, for example... When I visit in India, one of the things that you notice about India is all the roofs are flat top. Almost all of the building structures, they're, they're flat top. And on the top, they actually have rebar already kind of extended out. And so when I was there, I was having a conversation with one of our pastor partners over there and saying, hey, how, what's, what's with this kind of structural design? And he said, it's actually a cultural value. That as they build their homes, they build them with flat roofs and they leave the rebar up because as their family grows, then they build another story on the top of their house and invite their family to come and dwell with them. It's just this beautiful picture of a of multi-generational commitment to doing life together. You know, just this last week, my parents were in town. And I was able to take them. They were so excited. They wanted to see me, but they really wanted to see my kids. And so I took them over uh, to uh, Seattle where my daughter Alex is studying at Seattle University. And so we had a chance just to be together. And, and, and here's what I noticed was happening. That as we're together, it brings a stability to the younger generation. And it brings a vitality to the older generation. And you might want to write that down because there is a stability that comes to the younger generation who's just wondering what the path ahead can look like. And then it brings a vitality to the older generation, right? Where there's a little more life and a little more energy and a little more hope in the future of the younger generation. I've got three teens in my house, and I just, I am so quick to acknowledge that they help keep me young-ish. Not young, but just young-ish, right? And if it wasn't for them, I would just drop into this deep well of listening to my classic rock and pining about the good old days in the 80s and, you know, muttering, get off my lawn. Like, that would be my whole trajectory if it wasn't for my teenagers who keep me sort of current and sort of fashionable and sort of energetic as we go after this life. So I, I just want to recognize that this commitment, it, it goes intergenerational first off, but then the commitment also is a commitment to cross sort of the, the country borders of our origins. It, it's, it's a commitment to go across lines of culture and ethnicity. That, that, that's the commitment that we want to make together. And so what is it that I mean commit to? You might want to write these things down. We need to commit to loving one another, right? This is based on Jesus. We need to commit to valuing one another. We need to commit to providing for one another and to caring for one another. Because these are the biblical values that we are given in the scripture. 1 Timothy 5, 4 and 8 says, Their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. I, I think I want to get that as a tattoo on my children, you know. 
that they just remember that, oh yeah, there's a value to take care of their parents. Uh, this is something that pleases God, the scripture says. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Okay, so you can see that God's plan is for us to commit in love to providing and caring for and loving one another and that stability and dependability are both fostered as we do this. The last fill-in is that in our house, we serve one another. We serve one another. And I've, I've talked before about how there is a spectrum that we can land on and at the one end of the spectrum is a place where I would define it as selfless. And at the other end of the spectrum is a place where I would define it as selfish. And when you're in this selfish area, it, that's your primary place of reference. And so you're referring every decision and every thought and every value based on how it makes you feel, what you feel like doing, what you feel like receiving. It's even manipulative how you get other people to serve you. This is where the narcissists kind of hang out. And then at the other end is selfless. And if this is your posture, then it's, you're always referring your identity and your choices and your values on the other person. So it's always, how are they doing? How am I in terms of how they are? This is where codependency dwells, right? This is where living as a doormat dwells. This is where that sort of fake martyrdom dwells, where we just allow ourselves to be run over and we're constantly just sort of hoping that the other person responds positively as we're taken advantage of. So not Neither of those places are really healthy spaces. But Jesus wants us kind of in this mid-space. It's a space that's very Christ-honoring. And I've defined it before as the self-honoring space. So it's not selfless and it's not selfish, but it's self-honoring. And, and the reason why I bring all this up is because a major part of living as a self-honoring human is that you have to build serving into this posture. The reason why is because Jesus is the one who has made you. And Jesus has wired this into you. And there are blessings that he wants you to receive that you will only receive as you serve him and others. Does that make sense? So it's honoring self by serving. You honor Jesus by serving and then you allow him to bless you back. Friends, this is what Jesus has set up as a part of his family. And I, I would love for you to write this down. It's a challenge for us to contribute and not merely consume. He does not want his family to just consume. He wants us to be contributors as well. It's okay to consume, right? It's okay to be built up and to be encouraged and to be inspired. Those things are beautiful things. But it's not about us just consuming. It's about us also contributing. That's what families do. And so you might know this, but in Kidtown last week, I had the incredible honor of serving uh, in our Kidtown ministry. So last week, Pastor Pat was here, and, and so I didn't have any roles on Sunday morning here. I served in our children's ministry. And here's the truth. I honestly don't know why there isn't a line out the door waiting to serve in Kidtown. I mean it. They are way, way cuter. Friends, can I be honest? They are so much cuter than you people. Like, I love hanging out with these kids. They're so fun to be with. And so I got a chance to serve these precious, precious, you know, kids and babies. I got to serve Denver and Brett and Noah and Raya and Haley and Winston and so many more. They were like literal drops from heaven. They were like outposts of the kingdom of God. They were like a parade 
of adorable. I have so little adorable in my life. And they were just adorable. And, and so this is a ministry that I know I come alive within. Serving there is a very self-honoring space for me because I love pouring out and I love receiving the care back from these kids. Uh, I love going to Kid Town Park. I, I love being there with them. I remember that when my children were young, my wife and I used to serve a lot more with our children's ministries. In fact, every year we would do our vacation Bible camps together, and uh, we would always kind of switch off who would be leading what kid. And, and so I just remember when my son Caleb was four years old, and I was his VBS leader that year, his vacation Bible camp leader, and we would like literally lead them kind of physically from one location to the other, from one program to the other. And so I had all of these squirrely kids that I was having, to, it's like herding cats, I was trying to get them from one place to the next. So we would have a chant that we would do. We, were, we wanted to be the rangers for Jesus. And so I would kind of, you know, if I needed their attention, I would call out, I want to be a Jesus ranger. And then they would all scream at the top of their lungs, I want to live a life of danger. And so we would just like migrate through the little camp. And, and that was the year that this beautiful little soul named Alexa, who was in my group, she gave her life to Jesus every single day that week. It was awesome. And, and I just want you to understand that I am, I, I, like, like I come alive, that, that, that I have stories like that to share. How, how could you not want your life filled with stories like that? How could you, how could you want to follow Jesus but not want your life to be filled with stories about how Jesus used your life to interact other young lives? And, and uh, friends, I'm just telling you, this is as good as it gets. Like, this is where we come alive, and this is what Jesus is inviting us into, part of the freedom that he has called us to. In fact, that's where this idea of freedom and serving come hand in hand in the scripture. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the apostle Paul, he's writing, and he says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. And Pastor Pat mentioned that last week, that this is the freedom that Jesus has invited us into. At the very front end of this chapter, Galatians 5, Paul says very clearly, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't let yourselves be burdened again. Like, that's not what God wants, the burden of the yoke of slavery. He wants you set free in Christ. You've been called to live in freedom, he says. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. So in other words, don't live on the selfish end of the spectrum. There's greater ways for us to employ our freedom. Instead, he says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Just circle that phrase. That's what we're called to in our house, to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I want to highlight the uh, Israel-Palestine trip that just got back earlier this month, and, and Pastor Kara was one of the leaders on that trip, and, and she mentioned this on Facebook. I asked her permission to share. Uh, what she says is, is, she talks about, you know, being back 10 days and wanting to process some of the thoughts that God has, has, has you know, birthed within her. And she says, our goal was to learn about peacemaking and re racial reconciliation. And it's one of those things where the more you learn, the more you know you don't know anything. And the more your brain tries to neatly categorize things into sides of who's right and who's wrong. And the more you realize that you've just missed the entire point. I prematurely, of course, felt like I knew some things when I was going into this trip. I'd read some books. I learned some history. I memorized some facts. But here's the thing. Facts as facts alone don't actually do anything. Facts are not faces, stories, meals, hugs, songs, smells, tears, or lived experience. 
Statistics and news articles can too easily dehumanize a conflict that is not only destroying a land Jesus loves, but the people Jesus loves. P.S. He loves all people. And I want to love just like him. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. That's, that's the quality of the pastors you have here at Overlake Christian Church. And at the same time, Pastor Kara was, was with that team over in Israel and Palestine. I was with Pastor Dan, and we were over in Katali, Kenya. And while we were there, I, I think I shared this with you before, but for at least 20 years, God has placed street kids on my heart. And, and Dan has had the same heart, and many of you at Overlake have had the same heart. And so to see the Katali Project in its, its functionality, like in its bloom, in its, in its effectiveness, is such a beautiful thing. And Overlake, it's because of what God has done through you. It really is. And so we have been, we've been praying for and, and planning for and trying to get kids off the streets in this area. And by the way, there are street kids all over the world. Like in every city on planet Earth, there are street kids. And so our heart is, how is it we, that we begin to care for these? Well, in 15 months, we've been able to rescue 356 kids off the streets through this Katali project. And it's just been such a victory. So while we were over there, what we did was hosted a pastor's conference. And the, the goal of our time there with pastors... We had about a hundred and some different pastors and church leaders there was to cast vision for the fact that this is work that God is calling them into. That the, the idea of caring for local community, caring for, for these kids that are their kids, that these kids that actually can be cared for within their own church experiences and, and, and their church families can begin to care for them. It was just such a beautiful thing. And the way that they caught that vision and the way that they picked up that mantle and, and are going to begin to run with it. It is such a beautiful thing. Here's what I want you to know, Overlake. It's not just in this one space that I believe that God is using us to, to change the trajectory of kids' lives in Katali, Kenya. I honestly believe that we are at the front end of changing a paradigm so that the entire world is going to be impacted by this idea of caring for kids, rescuing them off the streets, and then reintegrating them into homes. So can we just thank God for all the good stuff that he's doing around the world? And this is, this is his, his goal for his church. I'll just give you these two uh, verses from the scripture. Psalm 68, 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. So this is his plan for us to live in a physical family as well as a spiritual family. And then number two, Romans 12, 13, when God's children are in need, be the one to help them out. Be the one to help them out. And so that's the challenge of this surf, right? This idea that in our house that we serve, we, we live in this posture of serving. And I know it can be hard. I, I am not trying to paint just like a, a too sunny brush over how it is to work with street kids. It's hard. And the reason why it's hard to work with street kids, I hope you understand this, is because there's always a reason for a kid being on the street. And that reason is always trauma. There's always, it's either the trauma of poverty, the trauma of neglect, it's the trauma of abuse. There's all kinds of trauma that send a kid to the street as, the, as this kid thinks, oh, I'll do better on the street than in my home, right? But then they get to the street and what do they, they find? They find more abuse. They find trafficking. They find all kinds of dehumanizing behavior on the street. And so they have to become hard. And as they become hard to survive, then it's harder for us to try to care for them. Are you with me? And it's all based on trauma. And so I, I want you to understand, I'm, I don't have any sort of Pollyanna, you know, lenses on as I look at the issues. They're, they're difficult to deal with. That's why Mother Teresa says this. He says, or she says rather, 
Jesus comes to us in a distressing disguise. You might want to write that down. It's true. That Jesus comes to us in a distressing disguise. That anytime we serve someone who comes from a trauma background, anytime we serve someone who comes from poverty or, or, or comes from abuse or, or who we would say maybe is living on the margins, Jesus actually uses a phrase in Matthew 25 where he talks about, you might remember this story, where Jesus is saying, look, at the end of all time, the king is going to be on the throne and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Do you remember this? And he says, look, the sheep are going to be separated. They're going to be on the right-hand side of, of the king. And the king's going to say, hey, enter into my joy. Enter into heaven. Enter into eternity. You know, you are blessed. And, and I just want you to be in this joy forever and ever. And then to the goats, he says the other thing. He says, I, I'm not going to invite you in. You know, I need you to, to go away from me. And, and, and both groups, I find this so interesting in how Jesus tells the story. Both groups are confused. Both groups wonder why. Like the, the, the group uh, that gets entered into, you know, heaven, they say, why? Why are we here? And, and Jesus says this. He says, because anytime you did any of these good things, anytime you clothed the naked, anytime you fed the hungry, anytime you visited the sick or, or you cared for those who are in prison, anytime you served those that were on the margin, Jesus says, you did it for me. Amen. That's why Mother Teresa says it's Jesus in distressing disguise. Because anytime we care for, anytime we serve, anyone. And it's difficult for us. Just understand, Jesus says, you're doing that for me. That's the scripture in your outline, by the way. The king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And so I want you to think for a moment just about these three things that I've challenged you through in terms of our family, right? In our house, our family does these things. In our family, what we do is we know one another and we commit to one another, and we serve one another. I want you to just think about those three verbs for a second. Now, I want you to think about Jesus. Before you were ever a part of his family, he knew you. Before you were ever a part of his family, he committed himself to you. Before you were ever a part of his family, he served you. Do you see, these values are kingdom values. These values go straight to the throne of Jesus himself. Because Jesus has known you before you ever existed. The Bible makes it clear that from the foundations of the earth, Jesus knew you. He knew exactly who you were going to be. He knew where you were going to be. He knew how you were going to be. Jesus knows everything about you, by the way. He knows all the stuff about you. He knows every good thing about you, everything that you wish everyone would ever know. He knows everything. Every social media moment in your life, right? And he knows all the stuff that you want to keep hidden. The stuff that you would never put on social media. He, he knows all the stuff that you're ashamed about. He knows all the places. We sang that song, Let There Be Light. He knows all the spaces of darkness within us. He knows everything about every one of us. And he loves us completely. And he loves us so much that he committed himself to us. What do you mean? He committed himself to us because he settled the issue. He knew that there was sin and guilt and shame. He knew that we would wound ourselves and each other. And so Jesus committed everything to go to the cross of Calvary. He committed himself 100% to pay the penalty for our sin. 
He allowed himself to be abused, to be mocked, to be spit upon. He allowed himself to have his beard ripped from his face and a crown of thorns shoved on his head. And, and he allowed himself to be stretched out and nailed to a rough wooden cross. He, he committed everything in order to remove the stain of sin, the shame that we all wither from. He took it all upon himself, committing everything so that we could have the freedom that we talked about last week. And he served us, right? He served us by going to the cross. And he served us by coming to earth in the first place. And he served us by his earthly ministry, by the things that he taught, and by the life that he modeled, and by the healing that he brought. And friends, it's because of Jesus that we have these values as well. The commitment in our family to know one another. The commitment in our family to commit ourselves to one another and to serve one another. It all flows from the person of Jesus. So what I'd love to ask you to do right now is bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's just thank Jesus for his value towards us. That before we were ever a part of his family, he settled the issue. That he knew us, that he committed himself to us in love, and that he served us. And so Jesus, what we want to say to you first and foremost is how grateful we are. We are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for the way that you have not allowed us to get in our own way. That you've not allowed us to, 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 to be removed from you or to run away from you, but rather you have pursued us through the ages. And we just want to say thank you, Jesus, that you know us and that you serve us and that you're committed to us. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would allow each one of us to offer you these same things, that we want to know you more. Please help us. We want to commit ourselves to you to a greater degree. We want to serve you with our lives. And, and so we just ask for your Holy Spirit to move in our lives to show us how. Because at the end of the day, Jesus, we know that we are your family. That we are in your house. And that we want to exude your values to one another. We want to know one another. We want to serve one another. And we want to commit ourselves to one another. We can only do this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. So it's in your name that we ask these things, and it's in your name that we always pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, why don't you stand with me now, and let's continue worship Jesus together.
could stand between us. Well, God, God is with us. Amen. Amen. My name is Phil. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and we're going to continue our time of worship together with our tithes and offering. If you'd like to grab a seat for a, for a second, and maybe as you do, pull out that connection card. This is you have about. 25 seconds, if you haven't done so already, to throw a name down, maybe a prayer request or something that's going on that you'd like us to know about or be connected with you in. We'd, we'd love to hear from that. If you're, if you're new, you can fill the whole thing out or whatever you feel comfortable and exchange it for a gift at the, the uh, Welcome Center just outside the doors. So can I invite the ushers to, to come on down? Um, and if you uh, call Overlake Church your home, there are a number of different ways you can give. The offering buckets is just one of them, online or by text. There's a number of different ways you can do that. And we are so grateful and, and thankful for, for all the sacrifice that our, our church family gives to um, provide financially and their time and, and the offerings that they, they, they offer to, to make the church what it is and to make the impact we can make greater. And there's probably no bad time to lean in more, either financially or with our time, like serving and, and ministering to others. But heading into a new year is definitely a, a pretty good time to rethink what your investment might look like. And if you're looking to lean in, this is a good time to start thinking about that. And we'd love to help walk that road with you. If you'd like to get more connected, if you'd like to have more responsibility and to find out the God, God's purpose in your life here, we'd, we'd love to, to meet with you and figure out the best way to plug you in here at Overlake. In the hallway on the way out, there's a few opportunities right there. Special Delivery has an, a benefit coming up, and they look to serve young moms that are transitioning out of homelessness. So that's a great thing to get involved in. Um, the Angel Tree is at the uh, front door, so you can stop by there if you want to buy some gifts for some kids. And then um, also coming up is one of my favorite events is the Kidtown Pasta, is the Kidtown Christmas event. So over the last few years, we've started the, the Christmas season by turning the gym into uh, a kind of loud candy nightmare in some ways, but it's just a lot of fun to just come, make a mess here instead of at home, and just decorate a gingerbread house with some kids and just have a lot of fun. So grab your family, come on down. If you have maybe friends you know that have young kids or young families, and you're thinking, hey, it'd be great if they came to Christmas Eve services, um, but that might seem like a big ask, this would be a really easy first ask. Just, just come by on that Friday night. We're going to decorate gingerbread houses. There might be some prizes if you're that kind of person. Uh, and if not, you can just eat frosting and make a mess. And it's just, it's just a lot, a lot of fun. We'd love to see you. We'd love to um, just spend some time celebrating that beginning of the Christmas season before it gets too crazy, because we know, we know it's coming. Well, if you've made a decision this morning, um, if there's anything we can help you with or pray with you, we'd love to do so. You can head out to the ground floor and hang a left, and someone will meet with you and pray with you and spend some time with you. Um, but can we stand, and I'll pray a blessing over the, the gifts and offerings and ourselves as we head on out of here and into our week. Father, I pray a blessing over this house, over this family. May we be united in your love. May we find authentic community here. Help us to lean in and serve with one another and commit ourselves to one another. Help us, inspire us to have a faith of that of a child that gives our lives to you every single day. Help us live lives and be a family that reflects the love you have for us. And as we leave this place, help us to be a light to others. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week.